If you watch the news reports and you turn on cable news, it can really depress you in these troublesome times that we live in. I don't care what channel you turn on. There is always going to be some politician screaming that we are in an unprecedented situation. Every hour of every day of every week, we're facing some new constitutional crisis. And it's enough to make us wonder, what does the future hold in store for us? Is Iran going to really get a nuclear weapon and start a war? Is there ever going to be stability in places like Libya and Afghanistan and Syria and Iraq? Is the current financial boom going to hold or... Are we going to have another crash and burn, and is my 401k going to be a 201 and a half? We inevitably feel a trepidation and an uncertainty over the future from time to time. As parents and grandparents, we look into the future and we have some misgivings. We ponder what does the future hold in store for our Children, What does it hold in store for our grandchildren? And knowing not what shall be on the morrow, we are, of course, filled with feelings of apprehension and fear. What our world needs today is a faith to face the future. Now, maybe we can brush aside some of these dangers of an international nature. Because after all, I can do all the hand-wringing I want and I have absolutely no grasp and no control over any of that. And yet I think from time to time all of us would like to look into the future. And we'd like to be able to gaze into that crystal ball of the future and see what does the future hold in store. Remember the Doris Day song, Kesara Sara? We'd love to be able to look into the future and, and see what lies ahead. But you know what? I'm convinced that if we had a crystal ball and we could actually look into the future, it might be somewhat like the story of a frog I read about the other day. This frog wanted to know what the future held. So this particular frog went to see a fortune teller. And he sat there across the table from her and the fortune teller gazed into her crystal ball and she said to the frog, you are going to be, meet a beautiful young woman. And that piqued his interest. And I see that from the moment she meets you, she's going to have a desire to know everything about you. In fact, she's going to have an insatiable compulsion to get close to you. You're absolutely going to fascinate her. And the frog was on the edge of his seat and he wanted to know. He said, where, where am I? At a singles club? And the fortune teller said, no, biology class. Well, you know, if we could look into the future, it might turn out for us kind of like it did for that frog. 
That's not exactly the kind of stuff that warm, fuzzy feelings are made of. But, other than those big things I mentioned a few moments ago, there are a lot of other crises that come into our lives. Things that are more personal in nature, that have a greater tendency to disrupt our normal way of life and our normal way of doing things. Many of the problems that have national and international implications, they're beyond our grasp. They're beyond our control. And quite honestly, some of them are too big for us to comprehend. I don't understand the difference in macroeconomics and microeconomics. I just know when I have money in the bank to pay my bills and I don't. I'm more concerned this morning with the number and inevitability of the personal crises that come into our lives. I remember when I would be going out, sitting across the kitchen table from a couple, and a man would say to me, he'd say, well, now, Mr. Perkins, if I die, and I'd correct him, I said, no, it's not if you die. It's when you die. And folks, it's not, well, if sorrow comes into my life, that's not the question. When sorrow comes into my life. It's a proven fact. In every life, a little rain must fall, to quote a cliche. It's inevitable that somewhere down the road of life, there are going to be some major crises that come our way that are going to be too much for us to handle alone. And when they come, our only hope is for a faith that's deep enough that it will enable us to survive and face the future. The storms of life are going to blow. Jesus never promised us exemption from the storms. He promised us He would be with us in the storms. And one of the first crises that I think of that comes into our lives is that crisis that comes when our loved ones are taken away from us. I think that over the last 20 years you probably know that I don't like, and it is not my style to use a lot of personal experiences and personal experience stories in my preaching. I've heard some guys preach that if everything that they said happened to them in their lives had happened, they'd have to be 170 years old. And I've actually heard them, and I could actually go to the book in my library and tell you who it was that actually had that experience that they said happened to them. But that's another story. But i tell you this much. I still remember vividly that Monday night, nearly ten years ago now, when my mother went home. We were there beside her bed, Norman, myself, and Matt. She had gone peacefully and quietly. The last words she spoke on this earth, she said, are you timing me to see how long it takes me to go? And I said, Mother, are you going somewhere? And she said, yes. And I said, where are you going, Mother? She said, I'm going to be with God. I said, Mother, are you sure about that? She said, that's where I'm going. I don't know about you. 
That was the last thing she ever said to me. But she'd gone peacefully with a smile on her face. I was holding her hand. Norma made the call to the people from hospice. I made the call to Mangum Funeral Home. And we were sitting there waiting for everybody to come and take care of all the final little details. As I'm sitting there, the words of a very familiar passage of Scripture came to my mind. It was the words of Jesus. He had just eaten the Passover with the apostles that night. He had told them that he was going to go away. They had been companions for three years. They had eaten together, traveled together, preached together. He told them he was leaving them. And they were saddened. And Jesus said to them, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may go. And whether I go, you know. And the way, you know. They said, Lord, we don't know where you go. How can we know the way? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's in John 14, 1 through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. What was he doing that night? He was giving those men the courage and the faith to face the future. When our loved ones are taken away from us, unless there is a faith, and unless that faith is strong, there is no real way to face the future. Remember God's man Job in the long ago? He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. One of the greatest and wealthiest men of all the East. He had seven sons and he had three daughters. And one day all of that wealth was taken away from Job. And after Job got the news that all of his wealth was gone, Job got the news that his seven sons and three daughters had all died in one day. Do you remember what that man of God said? Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it says in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. That's the kind of deep faith you and I have to have if we're going to face crisis that comes in our lives in the future. When some crippling illness or disease comes into our life, there's a need for faith at times like that. Can you imagine the anguish when the doctor says, I'm so sorry. The tests show that it's malignant. I've never personally heard those words, but I've stood by the bedside of my father, my mother, and my grandfather as they heard those words from the doctor. When the doctor says, I'm so sorry, the tests show it's malignant, that's the doctor's way of saying you have cancer. 
If you've never actually heard those words, there's no way to know the feeling inside. Those are words like a blast furnace opening up and hitting you right in the face. And yet, so often in our day and time, with the knowledge and skill of medical science, it's not fatal. But when we first hear those words, those words are so scary. And they're so foreboding. And with those words comes the most dismal picture of lingering months of illness and pain. When you hear those words, it takes a great deal of faith to face the future. When you hear those words spoken about someone that you love and care for, it takes courage to face the future. When death draws near, it takes a great, great deal of faith to think about the end of your own life. I like to think of a passage or two of Scripture from the Bible when I think of that. You know, people always sit around and, and talk about their final hours. My mother used to always say she wanted to have a long six spell and get well. Well, she had the long six spell, she just didn't get well. Now, myself, I want to be able to do exactly what I'm doing right now, 20 years from now. And some Sunday morning, I want to say it's the Lord's invitation as we stand and while we sing. And on that second step, I want to just face plant right there. That'd be like a cowboy going out with his boots on in the saddle. But when it comes time to face the end of our own life, it takes faith. I like to think about what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in his second letter in chapter 4. Beginning there in verse 16. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and external weight of glory. While we look, not at the things that are seen, but the things which are not seen. The things that are seen are temporal. The things that are not seen are eternal. Now listen to what Paul said. For we know. He doesn't say for we think or for we believe or for we've heard. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, he said, eternal in the heavens. Or then as he wrote to that same church at Corinth in the first letter, in chapter 15, beginning there with verse 51, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, 
Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. Now listen to it. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we have a faith that's deep enough and solid enough to undergird our lives, even death or crippling illness will not shake us. But then sometimes the crisis that might overtake us in life might be sin. When I think of that, I think of David long ago. He committed the sin of adultery and added on top of that the sin of murder. His sins were of such a major nature. And then God's man Nathan came to him. And Nathan called David's sin to his attention. Nathan broke his heart with the story of a rich man and a poor man and a little lamb. And David realized his sin and he repented. And God forgave him. Faith in God. Repentance toward God can save a man or a woman even in the depths of despair that comes with gross sin. Or there's the time that Peter denied the Lord. Denied Him a second time. Denied Him with cursing and swearing. The cock crowed and Jesus looked at him. And He went out and He wept bitterly. He repented. And cowardly Simon became great. Peter, the preacher of Pentecost. And there was Paul, one of the greatest persecutors the church had ever known, breathing out threatenings and slaughter as Saul of Tarsus. And he became the foremost salesman of the gospel in the Gentile world. Write this down. It's on the final exam. There is not any crisis that comes into our lives that can't be met and overcome if we have faith. And don't ever fall into the trap of thinking these crises, these hardships, and these problems are going to come only to somebody else. You and I have some control over it. We may not slip into gross sin. And our test may not be some crippling illness. But somewhere along the road of life that you and I travel, tragedy must come. And when it does, oh, how we need that deep faith in God. Not long ago, I read the experience of a preacher that he had with a suffering man. You notice I didn't say it happened to me. <clears throat> Excuse me, I read about it. This man came to this preacher, came to see him, and he was very ill. And the doctors found nothing wrong with the man physically. And the fact the doctors the man had been consulting suggested that he just talk to a preacher. The preacher talked to him, he said... Will you take the prescription that I'm going to give you? 
The man said, yes, I'll take it. I've taken my doctor's prescriptions. I'll take the prescription you give me. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. The prescription the preacher gave him was, read the 23rd Psalm five times every day. Read it when you get out of bed in the morning. Read it before you eat every meal. And read it immediately before you go to sleep at night. You know those lines. They're so familiar. We've heard them so much. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We know those words. A few weeks later, the man came back to see the preacher. And he made his report. He'd never felt better in his life. He was completely cured. You see, he had needed spiritual help. Maybe that might be something good for us to do. To read that 23rd Psalm. To say it when we get up in the morning. Say it before every meal. And say it before we go to bed at night. Because I'll tell you this. You read those familiar words of the 23rd Psalm. And the Lord is your shepherd. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff that comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You cannot. Say those words over and over again and think of your crisis. As you say those words over and over, you can't think of fear and anxiety because those words somehow push fear and anxiety out of our lives. And that's only one of the great passages of the Bible that give us spiritual strength. All of us need to learn and read hundreds of times the great truths contained in God's Word. Because it's only when we believe in God and when we lean on Him that we can stand against the crises that come into our lives. The only possible hope for the future is a faith in God and a faith in Christ that overcomes the world. You ever thought about our faith? How we sometimes have so little faith in God and so much faith in other things? How many of you have heard all of your life don't ever get in a car with a stranger? Hmm? Did you ever get in a taxi cab? Never met the guy driving it before in your life, did you? You had faith that they were going to safely get, get you from point A to point B. You ever flown in an airplane? Did you know the pilot? The co-pilot? But you had faith that they were going to get you safely to your destination. Last time you went to the restaurant, did you know the cook that prepared your food? But you had faith that it wasn't going to be poison, didn't you? We have faith in airplanes. We have faith in cooks. We have faith in strangers driving cabs and buses. We have faith in banks. 
We have faith in people we don't know, we've never met, we never will know, we never will meet. Why is it so hard to have faith in the God of heaven that created us? To have faith in the God of heaven that we're told not a sparrow falls without His notice. The God that knows the number of hairs on our head. Why is it so hard to have faith in God and so easy to have faith in all these other people? The God of heaven loves us with an infinite love. And the hope for the faith, the courage to face the future comes from a faith in God and Christ that overcomes the world. This world we live in is made up of hills and valleys. And from beginning to end, our lives have their ups and their downs. Watching little Jameson run around a little while ago. Most of us remember when those little children came into our homes. The precious child. You remember how often they fell down? How often they skinned a knee? Ryan sent us a picture of Mason the other day and he had a little red spot on his cheek. And I said, wonder what happened to his cheek. She texted Matt to find out what happened. Do you remember how those children, how often they bumped a cheek and how often they cried? With a child, the ups and downs come so quickly. But a few minutes later, even after the worst period of crying, they're happy again. We may pick them up. We may hold them. In that same way, in our lives, there are ups and there are downs. And oftentimes we feel like we're being crushed by the pressures of life. The only answer is leaning back on the everlasting arms of God. And letting God envelop us in His loving arms through faith. He cares for you. He cares for me. And He's ready to help us. The question is, is Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of your life? Because if Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master of all of your life, Jesus Christ is not Lord at all in your life. We make Him Lord and Master of our lives by coming to Him in simple trusting faith, repenting of sin in our life, confessing His name, and being buried in the waters of baptism. But then it involves living His kind of life. Have you been living His kind of life? Do you need to make changes for Jesus to be Lord of your life? If you do, this is your opportunity to do it as we stand and while we sing.